Today, we continue to unpack an amazing year, the, the year that was 1980, the year that gave us the sequel to the biggest movie of all time, The Empire Strikes Back. But it wasn't all smooth sailing for George Lucas and company. As you're going to find out, we go nitty gritty into the details. These incredibly dim-witted bankers that almost prevented us from seeing Empire Strikes Back in the summer of 1980. We go all the way into those crazy details. What other movies topped the charts? What was the music that we were rocking and swinging to? And let me tell you something. We are not done with the comic books of 1980. We go deeper into the storylines. Remember those? Remember when a storyline would get us super excited uh, over anything else, over a variant, over a collectible cover? And speaking of collectible covers, we have collector's Tips. I'm going all in on Collector's Tips, Collector's Corner, on an all-new edition of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, hence the Rob of the Observations. I have been making comics for 38 years. I have been writing, creating, drawing, illustrating, inking. Printing, yes, I, I've talked about when I went and actually printed the comics. I have sold comics out of the trunk. In 2000, I wanted to sell them out of my car, uh, really just print to order. And hey, do you want to buy this new uh, version of Youngblood? Uh, yes, I have sold comics out of my trunk. I, I don't know how I haven't seen every aspect of this comics industry. And I love to share it with you here on Observations, which looks at the entirety of the comic book industry from the comic books. That, that, that are the bedrock of all of the, you know, extra entertainment that has sprung from them, the action figures, the movies, the streaming shows, the video games. I, I cover all of it from my own perspective, from when I was seven years old, trading with my, my barber to get that copy of Fantastic Four. And, and then, then the addiction that, that I have been afflicted with ever since I discovered comic books on a spinner rack at the liquor store, in the 7-Eleven, and at the grocery store. And it has, been, it has been an absolute lifelong addition, one that, addiction, one that I have not been able to shake. And I, and I, and I don't see myself shaking it anytime soon. Uh, it, it, it has been my passion. And making comics was all that I could think of, uh, especially sophomore, junior, senior year in high school. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I can't do anything else. I'm not qualified. But uh, I could draw, I could tell stories, and I have had such an amazing, just, uh, I, I mean, it, it's the comic book creators now. And that is just, I think, I think it's great for everybody, up and down uh, every aisle of the comic book business. And it excites me. And, and again, that's what we talk about here. So if this is your first episode, and every episode is somebody's first episode, just like every comic book is somebody's first comic book. And there's, you know, even nowadays, you know, there is, not one single show that I don't uh, click on and you don't click on and it says skip recap because, you know, there's a recap. What you may have missed, it, 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 the last episode, the last series, the last season. And I have to be aware, no matter who is tuning in, uh, I just want you to know, you know, it's like, it's like I'm, 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 a, I'm in a comic book rehab. I'm standing up. I'm Rob Liefeld. I am a recovering comic book aholic because that's what I am. I am addicted to comic books and I share that passion here with you. Along the way, we have discovered things. Uh, 
I have been able to to go into the the nooks and crannies. I love that phrase. I I I, I, that I first heard uh, of, of of nooks and crannies from commercials on uh, what do you call it on uh, uh for for English muffins. Okay, uh, English muffins. That that's where I first heard of. Uh, uh, and, and then the Pepperidge Farm guy said, and the butter goes in the nooks and crannies. Well, well, from every nook and cranny of the comic book business, I try and find. Uh, some interviews, some information that maybe you haven't seen, maybe you haven't experienced and share it with you. Uh, I have become not yet. I'm not the old man of comics because there's still older men of comics, but we're, we're up there. Me and my peer group, we're, we're not the young dogs anymore. And again, just love talking and sharing this experience with you. Taking, Thank you for taking this Rob Observations ride with me today. We're going to cover all manner of topics. We're, we're, we're going to wrap up our visit to 1980, which I am still so like literally ashamed that I did not cover that previously in our decade series. It is so resonant. And I know that I was banging that drum in part one. And I'm going to shine a little more light uh, on, on, on that period as well. But man, th- th- this is a heck of a year. And we're going to round it out with some big, uh, you're going to go, that, that, of course, that was a big deal, but it was a big risk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover the movies. I'm going to cover the music. But we're just gonna we're just gonna have a few a few few topics we're gonna discuss before we get to that uh, finale and 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 uh, and continue to put 1980 under the microscope where it belongs because there are so many lessons and and, and so many really I- important uh, events that, that that went on to shape everything after the the one thing you gotta understand about this show if you're listening to again for the first time is we are not a movie trailer review show we are not a movie uh review show we're not a hot topic breaking headline show there's so many of those out there for you that's not what i do i don't i don't review comic books here either uh my whole gist of of this show was to walk you through uh my own history of comics and while i'm doing that i am shining the light on all of like to me the big events and the big creators and i kid you not if you start back at the very beginning uh and walk with me uh, i i know that you're going to be informed you're gonna you're gonna get more informed i mean look there are gaping holes in comic book history from all manner of, of fandom at this point that we can we can thank just thank god that there are new readers there are new readers coming in there there may not be an avalanche of new readers but there are peoples who, who people who are <laughs> peoples now i'm borat there are peoples who are coming into the business uh, regularly trying to check it out. For instance, uh, this is a great, for instance, this just happened to me. It's my own experience. Uh, Last week, Ryan Reynolds revealed, finally, uh, that Dogpool uh, is in the the Deadpool threequel. And, you know, when I... uh, When I was on set back in June, I got got to see all the, the Dogpool turnarounds the 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 shots of him in the costume and 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 the identity of the dog that they picked and it it was really super fun but again completely and totally in absolute lockdown so ryan of course shares it and guess what there's there's a whole bunch of people who are going to learn about dog pool for the first time from that ryan reynolds tweet fact fact they are going to learn about dog pool for the very first time a commenter on uh one of my social media posts said, hey, Rob, do you think that you'll maybe do a story with Dogpool down the, down the road? 
they said, what well, do you think you'll do a story with dog pool uh, down the road? And, and, and I said, I did uh, the, the uh, in, inaugural introduction of, of, of the dog pool existence in Deadpool core. It starts with the road to the Deadpool core and then it goes to the Deadpool core and of the Deadpool core. Like I, I think there's like 13, 14 issues. I did 11 of those. I did the vast majority of the appearances where Dogpool is right alongside of, of, of Deadpool and with Lady Deadpool and Headpool and Kidpool. And like, it was just funny to me. It was being suggested to me that I do like, Hey Rob, are you going to participate in this and, and join in and do Dogpool? And, and I, I was happy to inform that I've done that. Uh, like, like Deadpool core number one has, has dog pool, you know, flying, well, leaping through space, through outer space, because of course characters can do that in comics, uh, alongside Deadpool and Lady Deadpool and the rest of the Deadpool Corps. And, 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 and as, as I said, uh, the, the beginnings of Deadpool Corps in uh, Deadpool Merc with the Mouth, that was the series, Deadpool Merc with the Mouth number seven, which introduces Lady Deadpool, had a Lady Deadpool variant on it, is the first chapter as we build towards the Deadpool Corps. And, and there was a a miniseries called The Road to the Deadpool Core, which then led, led into the Deadpool Core and had Dogpool along along for the ride. So so again, it, it's 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 so much so that a, a, that a series that I did in 2011, I, I'm being, you know, has been lost to the sands of time in, in the eyes of the uh the brand new fan, the brand new reader who is who is who is suggesting me, hey Rob, you should jump on this. And I'm like, I'm part of this. I, I'm part of this. It goes a decade back. So the information that that I can, uh, you know, hopefully shine, and you're going to get a lot of information if you go back through the library and you, uh, you know, encounter these episodes. I I, I don't know which episode is going to be my last of 2023, but we are absolutely uh, sniffing it. Okay, it's like when I get the peanut butter out from the from the from the cabinet. All I have to do is open the jar, and and two rooms away, my dog just stands up immediately he knows he's like oh there's that peanut butter it, it, we're so close you can sniff it because we have done man we've done a lot of shows this year and i've had the best time but uh once that once the lights go down and we turn the lights off for vacation for observations you should go back and you should check those out and that would be that would be um uh, just a tremendous uh, uh honor if you would go back and and listen to some of those earlier episodes some of which i will reference throughout this show so yeah, we we don't parse trailers and look at reactions and look like uh Captain Marvel, the Marvels that that opened this last week. I I don't care. Like I I don't care how it did, successful, not successful. I have shared with you movies that I'm really passionate about. If I go and 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 see like uh you know a Spider Man film or 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 a Black Panther film that I'm extremely excited about, but there's so much much of those, so so much of that product. And I've been honest with you that I got off the Disney Plus train years ago. I just can't keep up and and so i'm not going to try and fool you into into thinking that i interact with that stuff at all the stuff that's most important to me will always be the comic book so that's the stuff that we discuss and share and walk through that history here uh again my history with comics as a fan goes back 50 years i mean i'm gonna be i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna be 57 okay my next birthday i'm 57 that is that is you know 50 plus 7 i started when i was seven years old that is where my uh, first real encounters. 1974 is so much of the comic books that I first encountered, and then again, the the spinner rack addiction starts very very shortly after. So, what we're trying to do here at the show 
is just point you in the direction of history and shine the light on big events. I, I challenge anybody to go back through and tell me that the first Secret Wars wasn't a big event or the first Wolverine uh, miniseries wasn't a, 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 a big event or the, the first time that Marvel realized maybe we shouldn't do all these X-Men spinoffs. Maybe we should just double the frequency and the output of X-Men and make that bi-weekly instead of monthly. And that will get us you know, the, the, the same results as doing another spinoff. We can invest the money that we're going to do another spinoff and we're going to put it here. And one of the reasons I, I, I bring that up is just the, the random thought about the MCU. We're not a trailer show. We're not a movie show. But as, as we kind of put 20, I think the Marvels is the last of the, of the Marvel movies this in 2023. And then Deadpool 3 is coming out in July of 2024 and is going to be the only comic book movie. But looking back on, on everything that's, that, that's led us here to the end of 2023, the brilliance of uh of of let's see Iron Man 2008 to Endgame 2019 was the chapters and how Marvel had everybody encountering each and every one of those chapters sometimes they were very clever they'd put a chapter in between that you had to encounter if you wanted to enjoy it as a whole and and people wanted to enjoy it as a whole absolutely and that's again uh going back to the, the podcasts that, that I've done on on crossovers and how crossovers changed the industry and how that started in the 80s that wasn't a thing prior to that. It wasn't a thing in the 60s. It wasn't a thing in the 70s. You may have gotten some back and forth between individual titles. Like they'd, they'd have a six-issue ad- adventure split up between Avengers and Defenders, but these giant, broader, you know, crossovers. We've covered that on the show. I, I, just, um, I just encourage you uh, to, to, to take this walk with me and, and, and go back and start from the beginning. And you, uh, I... I it's what you guys have told me. I, I think you'll get a little more knowledge than maybe you started with. And I am reading from sources, from magazines, from interviews that are lost to the sands of time. Uh, that's just kind of the, the who we are, what we do. Uh, this, is, this is definitely the end of the year, and we are getting down to our last show. So forgive me for going on for 13 minutes about Rob's observations, the show, what we're about. The hot tip I'm going to give you before we dive deep, deep into uh, our, our, our primary 80s, the hot tip that I'm going to give you, and I've, I'm, I've, I've observed this since spring, summer, and fall. And uh, it, I, I, like, like flashing lights, beware, beware, hot collector tips, okay? I'm going to tell you to be careful. I'm going to caution you to be careful when chasing hot. We can even put it in parentheses and say H-A-W-T, hot, hot books, okay? I'm talking about convention variants. I'm talking about foils. I'm talking about foil stamped logos, whatever. These comic books that get buzz on the floor and build you into a frenzy. And some of you who aren't able to make it to the show, you're in, you know, Montana watching coverage of the San Diego Comic-Con or the New York Comic-Con. And you're like, oh my gosh, that rare Comic-Con foil book that this guy, excuse me, on live stream, on on the on my telecast on on the YouTube is telling me there's only like a hundred of I gots to have it. It's that it's that woman in Napoleon Dynamite, in, in, <laughs> which I almost fell off my chair when she looks. Uh, you know when Uncle Rico is trying to sell her, or maybe, maybe it's the 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 son, whichever one is trying to sell her uh, on the Tupperware, and 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 there's the bottle with the ship in it. And she goes, I want that. And she tells her husband, I want that. That's, that's so many of you on the convention. Floor, I want that. I want that super shiny, cool foil that's going to 
be hot for the next three days, maybe, if we're lucky. I remember at San Diego, uh, a friend of mine's wife, because that's how well-informed she is, uh, they're, they're, they, they made uh, their bones really chasing collectibles for, for years, and they really kind of cooled off because that'll burn anybody out. But they're like, look at this, look at this. And she pointed me to one of the live streams, and the guy scolding people like, don't you understand how, how, how hot this is? I, I, I can't be selling this to you for these low prices. That's because it was day three, and people had already figured out that you know maybe they didn't want it or maybe they didn't want it at that price, and their attention has moved on the hot comic book the hot variant and hey everybody let me let me tell you something at the 15 minute and 30 second mark i'm telling you right now that goes for me too this goes for me this is not just uh everybody else this goes for me and my convention books and my variants and my foils caution beware let me get to the end of this uh tip so so i can then kind of fully unwrap it i'm just going to tell you buy it if you like it Buy it if you like it. Buy it if you dig the art, if you dig the appeal of whatever enhancement was on it. But do not buy it thinking that it is going to, you know, pay the rent down the line. Caution, caution, beware, beware. The 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 short-term gain business is what that's all about. And the long-term is iffy, questionable, doubtful, uh, very much, uh, you know, just suspect. So I'm just telling you, be careful. Now, I'm gonna, I am going to pivot to what you should do instead, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, have, I'm, I'm doing an either and an or. I'm doing a, a, a you know, a, a no and then a yes. The convention floor, the comma convention floor, will act as a temporary incubator. You guys, okay? It's it's a heat that is that is generated just just temporarily, almost immediately dissipating as fast as it was generated. Uh, these people, they're all trapped in the same. Now you're like a hundred thousand people. It's still a hundred thousand people are trapped in those, uh, not, not trapped, but they are, they desire to be glued to that floor and, and, and to get that action and to get that book and put it, take a picture of it. That's all you gotta do. You gotta take a picture. You gotta hit the download. I mean, <laughs> hit the upload, then the download and then feature it and then say, I got these, I got these and they're hot, hot, hot. And you should overpay for this because you're not going to want it next week. But in this frenzy, you are okay. Uh, there's a, there's a scene in a, in a, maybe in one of the planet of the apes movies, it's, it's some sci-fi gorilla film. Uh, it, 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 I, I, I compare it to this. It's, it's like, uh, there's, there's a scene where the, 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 the gorillas are starved out and, and they're, they're hungry and they throw the big stock of bananas in the cage. And then the gorillas and, and the monkeys, they all fight for the bananas. And, and even in, in, in one of the scenes of the film they kill their fellow gorilla to get that banana and then they're kind of sad because the gorilla is dead but man guy finishes the banana and and he has no friend to share the cage with anymore okay got that banana it's it's like it's like these collectors they they they, they on the showroom floor there's the bananas okay let's go oh man I, I'm, I'm hoarding i got six bananas and you get home and you realize i didn't need six bananas i, I just needed one banana and and now and nobody even wants these other five i have just be cautious, be aware, even on a live stream and even my books. I'm telling you this, okay? Buy it because you like it, not because it's investment, not because it's a stock. And if you can short-term flip it, good for you. And if you're that guy that is listening right now and goes, Lightfeld, you don't understand the bucks that I made doing short-term gains on the convention floor. Okay, I get it. You're the guy. You win. You win Comic-Con, okay? Uh, you're the champ. And and we'll we'll get that parade scheduled for you just a little 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 further down the way here. But in the meantime, for some of you, uh, you're you're getting your first experiences being burned. 
So I just caution you to pump the brakes on um, hot con books because chances are that guy has cases of them. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I walked into the room of a guy who, who said there was only a few limited hundred and there was cases of them. And you're like, you know, again, this is just short-term gains. Be careful. Now I'm going to tell you what a long-term gainer, I, I, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm, I'm cautioning you on the comic book convention books. Okay. And the temporary heat and the incubator that the convention floor is. And, and again, just don't forget that I cautioned it against my convention books and my variants as well. Don't leave that out. The, the bottom line is don't be manipulated. Do not be easily manipulated. A lot of that exists just to manipulate, just to drive the, the prices, just so those other cases that you're not seeing behind the curtain are going to then be let out at a lesser price, move bigger quantity, or they just want to get some heat, uh, some buzz on something else they're releasing. Look, just beware. That goes for my stuff too. I cannot say it enough. So, so what's, what's the great collector tip? I'm going to give you the most obvious, the, the, the collector's tip that even the most jaded uh, comic store guy, the guy from The Simpsons with the shirt going halfway up his gut, okay? That guy, the most jaded guy is going to give you, okay? The, the, this, is, this is so, so basic. Go for first appearances. Go for first appearances. Your giant size X-Men number one. Your Hulk 181. Your you know, first appearance of Punisher, whatever Spider-Man that is. If you got the scratch, obviously the action comics, the detective comics, the uh, amazing fantasies. Uh, th- those those are going to give you an appreciation. The market may go up and down. You know, I took you guys on the journey as, as I was pursuing Hulk 181. Because now, again, you guys understand, I have two Hulk 181s. I have two slabs. One's a seven- and one's a 5.5, five, but I am looking to go up. I am looking to go up. Whatever I bought, those 7s and those 5.5s, five, they've increased in value. But I'm not willing to sell those to finance the, the extra. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep those. Okay? But several years back, I, I mean like a decade back, I got, you know, first appearance of Inhumans, first appearance of, of, of Black Panther, that entire like kind of 50s, 60s era uh, of, of, of the Fantastic Four where you're going to get Silver Surfer, you're going to get Galactus, the 40s, late 40s. Uh, that stuff is is great. I just bought an Avengers number one. I got a great deal. I, I I came across a guy who needed to sell and sell fast, and I checked with my buddies, and I saw the pricing, and I saw that it was in the right range. So the 1963 Avengers number one, I just added another one to my collection. My X-Men number one that I was fortunate to buy a, about a decade back that I literally spent, you know, $3,000 on, got it signed, got it graded, is, is now currently at the height in the pandemic it was kissing fifty thousand dollars now it's in the thirty eight thousand dollar range now is that a, you're like that's a drop of twelve thousand yeah but it's a gain of almost thirty two thousand from what i bought it because come on an x-men number one is never gonna go out of style you're like life i can't i don't have that money i can't afford that okay well the the moon knights of the world okay the the she hulks i don't care about the disney plus show she-Hulk has been around and rocking it in the comic books for a long time. That book was never cheap, but now it's just a little more expensive. But you are not going to go wrong on first appearances of Marvel and DC characters. You're not going to go wrong with a Teen Titans number one or the DC Comics Presents that, that introduced the Teen Titans number one that gave you the first appearance of Starfire and Cyborg and Raven. I mean, this stuff is evergreen. If you're going to put your money somewhere, it, it, it is literally the safest place. It, are, are the prices going to vary? They are. I mean, there was a person 
uh, at a store here in Orange County who was really trying to push a Hulk 181, an 8 on me for 10 grand last winter. And I just, I, I just said, I, I'm not going to pay that for that. Now, ironically, they, they encountered me a- entering into one of the small local shows here a few months later and, and saw that, of course, I was about to encounter a wall full of these. They, they, they saw me and they came out from behind their booth and met me at the entrance and said, hey, so we, we just want to know, we, we can negotiate on that 10K. We, 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 we could even like maybe do $8,200 on the 80. Well, yeah, that, that, that's coming down in price. I don't know what they bought it for, but I don't think they bought it for $8,200, okay? And, 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 and there, there's, they were just trying to make the most they could and they saw, you know, they, they, they thought in those winter months that I was sucker, and I was going to give them 10 grand for that 80, but it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever they, let's say they bought it at 3,000, 5,000. They're looking at an up, up crease, an increase uh, of three grand if I were to buy that at $8,200, okay, which I didn't. But first appearances, even some of the more recent stuff, it's just like I said, some of these, you know, especially the convention hot books, just buyer beware. This last year saw a record number of, especially with the, the advent of the live streams, record numbers of people flying out. They're literally flying to go to the shows, to get them, to take those pictures, to go to their hotel room, to upstream, to live stream, to upload immediately and trade on that heat because it's never going to be hotter than the fever. So take three Advil and call me in the morning, break that fever, think that through, and maybe instead park your, uh, you know, your investment with first appearances. Now, here's the deal. Even Heritage, Heritage, the auction house, which is growing leaps and bounds. They've added so many different auctions. I, I, I got my latest catalog. I got my latest Heritage catalog. And, and, and in this latest Heritage catalog is uh, a list. Here, I'll just read the whole page. Upcoming comic book movies. It's a full page. Comic book related movies and TV series are now a mainstay with numerous studios and and uh and and small developing new releases below is a comprehensive calendar to help you track of what's coming out in the near future to keep track of what's coming out in the near future it is current as of the printing of this catalog october 2023 but keep in mind titles and release dates are subject to change with more likely to be announced not every project makes it to the big screen so they list and of course, it's already changed because they've got like, for instance, they have February 14th, 2024, Madam Web coming out. They have May 3rd, 2024, Deadpool 3 coming out. Well, that they, they have July 26th, 2024, Captain America, Brave New World coming out. Well, we now know that Deadpool 3 is actually coming out on July 26th, 2024. There is no May 3rd release date for any superhero movie. Uh, I know that Venom got moved to Thanksgiving. But why are they listing these first? They even have 2025 dates. They have Blade and Fantastic Four, Superman Legacy. Uh, Batman Part 2, they, they have 2026 Avengers Kang Dynasty, 2027 Avengers Secret Wars because they know that those movies get interest around characters, especially many of whom may be seeing uh, the light of day for the first time. I'm just telling you stuff that is painfully obvious to you, I know. But if Heritage is telling you, hey man, these big studio productions are going to shine a light on stuff that you may have collectibles, maybe you have an original art piece, um, we're going to be here for you. We're going to be here for you. The guy. There was a page from New Mutants 98. It sold for uh, over $50,000. He released it with the, he timed it with the release of Deadpool uh, number two with Cable and Deadpool. It was the second page that Deadpool appeared on in that New Mutants issue. And he bought it 
I think for less than a thousand dollars, he sold it for fifty. Now he's told me that he wishes he had held on to it till Deadpool three, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, just a couple of years back, another page from New Mutants ninety eight sold for over ninety thousand dollars. Okay, that guy, I know it because he bought it for me. He did not pay ninety thousand dollars. I could not be more thrilled for him. I literally am. I dig that these people put these hundreds of dollars, hundreds of dollars, or thousands of dollars down, and and they're getting this increase. That that excites me. It makes me feel great. I'm not one of those guys that, because you see them, you encounter them. The, the artists, they're like, oh, that money should be going to me. No way. I sold it. It parted ways with me at a price that I was more than happy to sell it with. So when a buyer, somebody who bought my stuff, uh, eventually puts it into auction and it sells, but the point is they timed it with the, the, the release of a giant ad campaign, marketing campaign, trailers, and movie. Okay, and and if Heritage is telling you that that's how it's done, that's because first appearances in comic books. Because of course, Heritage sells the slabs, the first appearance comics that they have record sales on Action Comics, Detective Comics, Amazing Fantasy. Put your money into first appearances. That is never going to bite you. Again, just watch watch the investment. Try right right now. I'm going to tell you, I, I am part of comic book group, all all sorts of comic book selling groups, and they are all saying right now it is a seller's market for maybe so maybe going to the holidays. Uh, maybe maybe pull that trigger on on a cool comic that you've been thinking about, and I'm going to tell you right now, uh, it, it, I, I guarantee you that that if you just put it in the safe for the next in, for ten years, you're going to make money on that. Short term gains is not my thing. I'm into the long term investments when I play the collector's game, which I don't often, but when I do, that's that's it's long term game, and and uh, that's it. That's my hot tip. Caution, convention, H A W T, hot books, uh uh. That's the red light. The green light is go for those first appearances each and every time. They are your best possible investment. One, one of the numerous reasons why I am so hyper-focused on 1980 in our, uh, in, in our look back, one of the, the absolute most important things was just the abundance of quality across the entire year. It, 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 it literally... You, you heard me uh, bang my drum about the incredible output of John Byrne, uh, the, the fact that the Hellfire Club, the key saga, Wolverine come up from the sewers, at just a key fanboy moment to everyone from that age and even beyond people who've encountered it. Oh my gosh. Uh, to, to the Dark Phoenix saga and, 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 the, and the wrap up of that to this, the, the introduction of the brown costume, the two issue when to go battle to then the two parter of Days of Future Past. Just nothing short of the most phenomenal year uh, for, for, for the X-Men. Monthly comics, 17 pages an issue. The, 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 this is going to become key to the next point. <laughs> 17 pages an issue, except for the double part pager that wrapped up, uh, the double size uh, wrap-up of the Dark Phoenix saga. X-Men 137 was double size, but standard 17-page issues that rocked a generation that still hold up as the very best of comics ever. Just the, 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 the most incredible stories, characters, art, inking, coloring, lettering, all of it. It's so brilliant. Yeah, George Perez doing his thing over on the Avengers, doing just in a banner year in the Avengers. Frank Miller was doing Daredevil. And what I always fail to, to, to really focus on is the incredible Iron Man, Invincible Iron Man by David Michelini, John Romita Jr., sometimes John Byrne, sometimes Jerry Bingham. Uh, always inked, finished during this time by Bob Layton, who was also co-writing it with Bob, uh, David Michelini. Just a plus plus book. Iron Man, like Daredevil, was risen from kind of the doldrums to this most exciting book. Marvel had like 
four key pillars, four standouts, four epic runs going on at the same time during this period. And, and the fact that they came out monthly and, and as I've just, as I've gotten, as, 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 as I have gotten older and as someone who, you know, continues to make comics uh, and I look around me and I look around my fellow peers and I look at, at, at what they're contributing, what they used to contribute, output matters. It's where the connections are made. These books uh, were sold on storylines, connections with characters and the events and, and, and the way they looked and the way they were, were, were portrayed because it's comic books and pictures matter and, and the drawings of their faces, their emotions, their rage, their action, the action choreography, the stakes, the consequences, all of that uh, we experience through the, the artwork. Yes, the writer has his place, but, but novels are the writer's showcase. Comic books is about art and pictures. And, and it always will be. Otherwise, what are they? They're novels, okay? And uh, the, 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 the people who are still doing the output today, I look around, I think about, I think about my own peer group. And I think about uh, just last names only, McFarlane, Lee, uh, Larson, uh, Keown, Silvestri, Portacio, Begley, the Cuberts, both Andy and Adam, uh, Larry Stroman, yeah, uh, just, you know, my, my, my mind is blanking, but that, that, that's a ton. That's a ton right there. And I think back and I look and I, and, I, and, I, and I see right now the guys who are doing six monthly comics a year, uh, besides myself, Mark Bagley, uh, is Andy Kubert, I th- I, I mean, Adam Kubert, I think Adam Kubert is in the mix. I think he's been doing some, some Wolverine stuff. For the most part, uh, these guys now, now again, uh, Mark Silvestri did for me the best comic book of 22, uh, the l- latter age of 22 when, when his Batman was finally released. He, he, it was his magnum opus. Uh, when I asked if he was going to do something like that again soon, he said no. He told me no. Uh, we were in the, 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 the waiting room waiting to go live on the 60th X-Men anniversary. Uh, and, and I was asking him, and, and that's when he said, that's probably it for me. So, so while that was, was that eight issues, it was brilliant. It was, it was epic. It was next level. It was one of the best Batman ever, the best Joker ever. Uh, but like, it's few and far between. It is few and far between. And you, you realize the respect that you have when you're older of what, it takes to create those pages. Uh, it just, it really, it increases exponentially the older you get uh, because it's effort. It's, it's difficult. It's, uh, it, it, is, it is not an easy feat. It requires discipline above all else. And then an awareness uh, of, of, of just, you know, to, to, to maintain a certain level of, of, of quality. And, and so hats off to my fellow peers who continue to, 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 create output because again 1980 was so much about this incredible just menu of output and and of course Perez then 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 immediately crossing the street and 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 for a few months his Avengers his Justice League and his Titans was coming out simultaneously so so you got the Iron Man book the X-Men book the 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 Titans book you you got uh George's Justice League you've got you've got uh what what Frank Miller is is trying to take Daredevil from bi-monthly to monthly but it was just the most spectacular year, and it was storylines. And here's where I'm going to land that plane, which I talked to you about the 17 pages a minute ago. Days of Future Past today would not be told in 35 pages, okay? They would make it a 12 or 18 parter that would be drawn out, that would be paused, that would be, uh, you know, this, this constipated storytelling. And, and it wouldn't have near the impact. X-Men Days of Future Past, I did not, you know, bang this enough. Is this really smart 
uh, clever time travel story with a twist. It, it's got some difficult reveals, like like it's it's the, the pacing has to be pulled off, and they did. And 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 in all of it, you get these great uh, new characters. The brand new Brotherhood of Evil was introduced. That you get this incredible action throwdown in in X Men one forty two. This the, the conclusion. X Men one forty one one forty two are the very tight Days of Future Past uh, storyline. And and it comes with this incredible. Uh, it, it starts off with this really uh, big concept, big premise. Then throws us into the the heart of the story and the plot of that issue, and then it ends with a giant twist. All done with with minimal page counts. No no extra chapters. No 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 spinoffs. Uh, it is a testament to just the brilliance. Of, of what the storytelling was, what the storytelling that was being generated at that time. And again, today, today's marketeers would cut it up and, and make it all bite sized and it wouldn't have nearly the impact because you'd be uh, just, just, it would be, it would be stretched and stretched and stretched. So let's hear it again uh, about for that period of time, the comic books, the storytelling. What storylines are driving comics today? I got to be honest, I just don't believe there's a single storyline that is, is on par with Dark Phoenix or, or uh, Demon and Bottle in, in 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 Iron Man, or the Elektra saga, or or uh, you know the 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 Avenger stuff that was going on with the Taskmaster, or the Trigon uh, multi part opener that 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 launched the new the new uh, the new Titans, or the or the you know uh, the the even even the stuff that I loved Marvel two and one with the Pro- Project Pegasus, the Serpent Crown affair, you know the Judas contract and the Titans. I, I literally I just don't know the last time a storyline. Uh, you know, sent us directly into the comic book stores. And I'm going to tell you right now, when I think back, kudos to Mr. Jeff Johns, who I believe is the last guy that I remember creating a storyline that just whipped fandom into a frenzy with his darkest night, blackest night. Uh, he, uh, Ivan Rice, whoever else came along for the ride on, on, the, on that, 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 that saga whether whether Ivan was there or Shane Davis stepped in or Philip Tan or whoever else was pinch hitting because but Ivan was doing the heavy lifting lifting for that and then it went into a proper crossover based on the heat of the storyline that was being generated in the Green Lantern comic. I think that's the last time like comics was a buzz about a, a an ongoing monthly storyline, not an event miniseries. There was an event miniseries that came out of a storyline that was was started in the comic books. The events, the plots, the subplots that all took center stage and just whipped us into a frenzy. I can, I, I remember being in the comic stores and, and people, I mean, Green Lantern became DC's number one selling book based on the storytelling and, and the ideas and the concepts and the most gorgeous, beautiful artwork. Ivan Rice, good God almighty, that, that, that work is beautiful. It is still beautiful. I go back, I flip through it. That is the last time in my memory that a storyline just lifted uh, the the fever of fans and just carried them and and it, it was just prior to that I think Grant Morrison when he came on the X Men the monthly X Men and the Cassandra Nova reveal and oh my gosh Charles Xavier has this psychotic sister who is just as powerful as he is uh, had Frank quietly done each and every issue of that first 12, 12 issue run it would be up there with the greatest of all time but they immediately I think Frank tapped out around issue four and then the fill in started and and the, and the impact absolutely lessened. So I'm giving it to Green Lantern, Jeff Johns, the last time a storyline uh, in comic books. And that, that is, we're talking, is that, is that, is that, 
2008, 2009? Is it 2007? You, you tell me. I'm not sure we're in the 2010s when that happens. But, uh, or, or maybe it is just 2010, but it's that long ago that I just remember. I remember being a part of that frenzy. It didn't felt... It didn't feel manipulated. It was organic. And all of this stuff that I'm sharing with you, the Dark Phoenix, the Days of Future Past, the Judas Contract, the Electra, that all of that stuff, that is organic. That, that came from the comic book, the storylines, the conflicts, the, the execution, the art that just got everyone buzzing, okay? Uh, and, 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 and the last time I remember that happened is when, when, when Jeff Johns, Ivan Rice were just cooking, cooking with all the oil. Uh, on 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 Green Lantern, what an outstanding, uh, just just accomplishment to get people that excited. I don't think Green Lantern has been the same since, but it 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 had that kind of Daredevil, Frank Miller. It went up, boom! It it traveled, it it went up, it it overtook the Batman's, the Superman's, the Titans, the team books of the time. So yeah, great quality storylines. I just wonder, can we get back to that? Will we get back to that? When? Of course, we'll check all those boxes. It's just when. It's when we'll get back to that. Because that is exciting times when you can do it with a storyline. Boy, oh boy, you are cooking. 1980, we did comics. We did television. Today, we're doing movies and music. And I'm going to tell you, it's a no-duh. It's a no-brainer. The number one movie of 1980, anybody can tell you, was Empire Strikes Back, the sequel to Star Wars. Star Wars was the phenomenon of 1977. It was number one for forever. It got re-released the next year. I was there. I was a kid. I was nine. I was 10. I was 11 as it continued to stay in theaters, get special re-releases. It just seemed to never go away. It was it was lunch pails. It was thermoses. It was t-shirts. It was jackets. It was toys. It went so far beyond the action figures. It was beach towels. Uh it was it was bed sheets, Star Wars bed sheets, pillowcases. Star Wars was the biggest phenomenon of my life. I was there. I experienced it as a kid. I watched the world when there had never been anything like it prior. There has never been like anything like it since. So you think, well, a sequel will be a no brainer. Except imagine the pressure that George Lucas was feeling. Imagine the pressure George Lucas was feeling as he was prepared to follow up the biggest movie of all time. One of the big things that that George Lucas was. Uh, I know he felt the weight of the fact that Star Wars uh, outperformed his friends, Steven Spielberg, closing, uh, I'm sorry, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Godfathers. I mean, these were, the, these were the previous biggest movies of all time in the history of cinema, and, and Star Wars just left them all in its dust, and, and he was tasked with bringing this, this sequel to life, and he, he thought maybe it would be a no-brainer. But uh, there was a ton of planning, a, a ton of decisions that he had to make. I, I did an... Uh, the, 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 the heat on the sequel was so hot and heavy that the sci-fi magazines of the time, chief among them was Starlog, which was the most popular uh, newsstand sci-fi magazine uh, pouring. The, 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 the same people that gave you the horror magazine, Fangoria, gave you Starlog. They later did a comic book magazine called Comic Scene. Uh, really good. The, the, most, the best production and, 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 and uh, production values quality of any of, of any of the genre magazines. Uh, comic scene, Starlog, Fangoria, they, they were higher quality than the stuff that you were getting from Wizard. They were bigger. They were magazine size, slick, great photos, great art, great interviews. And I did an, inter I did an episode. I did an episode in uh, November 30th, 2021 called Stalking the Empire. And it talks about all of the rumors that were coming around, all the decisions that they were making. You know, uh, Was there going to be time travel in the sequel? Were they going to encounter black holes? 
Was Leah going to turn to the dark side in the sequel? Was Han Solo going to pick up a lightsaber? Uh, th- this is all the stuff that they were covering in 1978 and 1979 as they were uh, planning the sequel to the biggest movie of all time. Empire Strikes Back had some big shoes to fill. I kid you not. You can look back at the, at the result and go, oh my gosh, it's my favorite of the entire saga. It's the best of all the Star Wars movies, as so many people believe. I'm, I'm going with 1977's original first, then Empire after, because 77 was such a, oh my gosh, such an incredible feat to pull off. But Empire is A++++, five stars, perfect. Uh, but, but there was hurdles along the way. Again, the, uh, listen to Stalking the Empire to get uh, uh, an idea of what the industry, how the industry was covering it. I mean, they were uh, just trying to uncover any aspects of the script, the plot, the story, the new characters that were going to be introduced. We had an idea because prior to that, the infamous Boba Fett Malin character, yes, I was that guy. I got it in my little uh, toothpaste tube after checking the mail every day for the better part of two and a half months. Boom, it was there. You had to buy. I bought th- you know, three stormtroopers, sent in the proof of purchase, cut, cut, up, cut out the cardboard, proof of purchase. Uh, along the perforated lines, put it in the envelope, sent it in, was one of those people that got the original Boba Fett, was so excited, so we knew that he was coming, he appeared, uh, Boba Fett had that excellent cartoon, it is the saving grace of the holiday special, so we had some inklings of what were com- what was coming, but, you know, did, did, did you, did you, were you aware, did you know about the financial travails, I'm sure you've heard some of, you know, how the movie was going to be shut down, the money that, that George made on the movie was substantial, but the money that financed Lucasfilms and created, you know, his special effects division, you know, uh, uh, all of the growth of his film co- company came from the merchandising, came from those bed sheets, those pillows, uh, the, 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 the gazillion t-shirts and jackets and sweatshirts, along with the action figures. That is what fueled the money that he could take per his contract and finance the sequel, 20th Century Fox was on board. They were going to distribute it, but they didn't believe enough in the original to get a sequel. So George was financing the sequel. And the incredible, uh, there's a trilogy of books to go along with the trilogy of the movies. Uh, the making of books, making of Star Wars, making of Empire Strikes Back, making of Return of the Jedi, written by the late, great, gone way too soon, J.W. Rinsler. Oh man, this guy did the best behind the scenes books. Uh, he, he did a Planet of the Apes one as well. They are fantastic. They are excellent. I'm going to share with you an excerpt from this book where, uh, you know, where, where, where George was having difficulty in the middle of this production that already had so many questions and anxiety around it. George wasn't even directing it. Uh, the, the, it uh, around all of this, you know, the, the movie was about to get shut down. So, so let me share with you from page. 206 of J.W. Rensler's The Making of Empire Strikes Back. It says, on Sunday, July 15th, George Lucas returned to London. Suddenly showing up every few weeks or so didn't matter anymore. I had to be there. I had to be there and I had to keep helping Irving Kirshner, who was directing it. Uh, This developed into a ton of work. Additional concerns had also brought George Lucas back. The budget, the schedule. But the more urgent matter was the film's financing. It was all falling apart. There were some business mistakes that had been made. Empire got out of hand budget-wise, and the picture ran into big budgetary problems. Part of it was Charlie Weber's fault. Part of it was John Moore's fault. 
and a lot of it was Gary Kurtz's fault. He's talking about the producers, uh, the people who who kind of uh, prepared the budget, what they were going to spend. I mean, again, this is the the sequel to the biggest movie of all time, and certainly the biggest uh, merchandising, you know, vehicle of all time. It says, uh, it goes on to say. There were three major entertainment loan officers from Bank of America, which was financing Empire. They all came into my office, says, says uh, Charlie Weber. They looked shell-shocked, and they said, we have to pull your loan on Friday. We are at a million-dollar payroll. And Charlie Weber, who was helping George run the finances of this picture, says, said, why? You have a $15 million, uh, you have you have a fifty million dollar advance from Fox, and they said we have a brand new credit manager who just came in, and because your budget doubled, it is an automatic no. There is nothing that we can do about it. So I was sh- struck. Charlie Weber says trying to make a double payroll, a million dollar payroll by Friday. It became apparent that Empire was going to go even further over budget, further over schedule, George Lucas says. It wasn't going to be a $25 million picture. It was going to be closer to $30 million. Now, all of us can laugh in today's budget, but back in 1979 when they are shooting this movie, that is a whole lot of bones. That is a lot of of cash, okay? It's $5 million over what he agreed to make the movie, given his terms with Fox, given his terms with the bank. I said, Gary. Now we have to go back uh, to the bank again, and God knows what's going to happen. They may not extend our loan. So, so George Lucas goes back to the bank. This is what he feared. He goes back, and he says, uh, "Hey, we need, we need, you know, we need more money." And uh, he said that the bank said to him. We are not giving you another dime. We are not giving you George Lucas uh, and your sequel to Star Wars. We're not giving you another dime. What a, what a wonderful uh, bank loan manager. This guy was doing his job. Uh, George says, so I couldn't finish my movie. We were 20% away from the finish line. And I was afraid I was going to have to go back to Fox and beg for their forgiveness. I would have to give them more of my movie. I would now have to cut them in in, in in participation beyond distribution, he's thinking. And I would not, I would no longer have my freedom because that's all George wanted. He wanted his freedom. He felt he had earned it. His uh his his uh fellow fellow partner on the movie, Kazajanian, weighs in and says, the picture was way over schedule, five million dollars. We were five million dollars over budget. Suddenly, the accountant called and said, we're going to need $5 million, $5 million more. That's a lot of money. That's a big error from Charlie when he was budgeting this. How could he not see this coming? The despair was that we had to find the money as quickly as possible. We had to make payroll. Guys, in the strike that just happened, I know some of the studios had to pay to hold those uh, sound stages. They had to pay I literally had in August one of the people involved in one of the biggest productions telling me that one of the biggest studios was paying. And one of the, one of the trade magazines actually covered this in a little more detail. 
That's what tipped me off. And then I got confirmed. Some of these people paid tons of money to hold the sound stages that had to be uh, 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 closed. And, and, and you've got, you, you had Mission Impossible that had to stop filming. You have Deadpool that had to stop filming. You had Gladiator that had to stop filming. Uh, a number of big budget movies had to stop filming. That, that those sets, they didn't want to strike them and have to rebuild them. So they had to hold those sound stages for the better part of the last three and a half months. Now, one of them said, our insurance is going to help us cover most of this, but still, that is a lot of scratch. So when George is sitting, sitting there saying they have 20% left, but they have to, you know, the reason is if he doesn't make that, if he doesn't bridge that loan, then they could have, they may have lost everybody. Actors have schedules. They have to go do other movies. Uh, they, have, they have other stuff lined up. You can't be the guy that's holding them all up. So this was imperative that George find, find this extra $5 million so that he can finish Empire. And you know, he doesn't want to go to 20th Century Fox because they are going to go, oh baby, we got you exactly where you want. I have a friend who negotiated a deal on a movie and he had all of the licensing and to get the extra money for the, re, for, for, for the upgrades. The, the studio told him, if we do this, if we go forward and put this extra few million dollars in, you're giving us all the licensing back. And he had to do it and he did it. Uh, that These studios are waiting for you to slip up, to slip so that they can come in and assume more control. And that's what George was looking at as he was making this, uh, th- th- this sequel to Star Wars, he says, uh, <clears throat> we had to make payroll, George Lucas said. I had to get the money as quickly as possible. Uh, we, uh, we said that we would pay everybody every other week instead of every week. And this was a delaying tactic until we could actually find our way out financially. The big question was, can we get it done in time? I was trying to keep the picture going and we couldn't let the cast and the crew realize that we were in financial trouble. We had to continue as if everything was fine. Uh, Irving Kirshner, the director, is on record. He says, I had no awareness of what was going on behind the scenes financially. Uh, Black Falcon, some companies supplied a Band-Aid loaning an additional $525,000 to the cost. According to one source, 20th Century Fox had become aware of the situation and was threatening to call in the completion bond and take over the film. Like I, I, and part of this always has reeked to me. Side, sidebar, conspiracy theory, sidebar, g- flashing green light conspiracy theory from Rob Liefeld. And, and I know I'm not alone. It, it felt like the studio could have gone to the bank and, and put George in this squeeze so that he would then have to come to them. I mean, this, this is so suspect. That suddenly, again, uh, if there is uh, such a thing as a home run in the world, in, in, in the world of 1979, 1980, it was the sequel to Star Wars. Uh, there was tension, surprise, there was tension between Lucasfilm and Fox. The fact that Lucasfilm was the owner made it even more intense and, and, and made it the supreme being at 20th Century Fox. Anything that Lucasfilm said went which inhibited the creative people and the business people at fox anything that lucasfilm said inhibited the creative people and the business people at fox generally what george demanded stayed in the realm of lawyer to lawyer but every once in a while a a a piece of a piece of information burst out into the world uh to the top executives of the company we didn't see this coming, said the producer Gary Kurtz, working alongside uh, uh, George Lucas. It was a terrible moment, and then having to go back to Fox for more help 
Nobody liked that idea, least of all George Lucas. I mean, again, this is just uh, crazy pants that this is going on, but this is behind the number one movie of 1980. Of course it delivered. Of course it came, came out. Of course we all sat there and were breathless and were amazed. Uh, again, uh, <clears throat> he says, we didn't see this debt. We, we, I'm sorry, George Lucas says, we couldn't meet this debt. George Lucas says, all the money that I had made from Star Wars was committed to this film, plus even more. I didn't want to go back to Fox and give them the movie because then I'd give all the rights back. I was very close to losing all my rights that I had worked so hard to get. It was an extremely high-pressure situation. I had to keep the picture uh, I had to keep the picture going, somehow get people to work without pay. Hope to hell that we could make a deal with another bank. Hope to hell that whatever that, we, um, that they asked for didn't involve me going back and renegotiating big time with 20th Century Fox. It was a very intense situation. It was my learning that when you play with the big boys, it's no holds barred and things kept slipping. Uh, it's really two years of inflation between the two pictures, Gary Kurtz says. The labor costs uh, that had been normal uh, Increased 15 years, 15% in one year. Uh, it was it was like a 500% inflation, inflation rate because the deals that we had with them on this picture are substantially higher than before. Simple things like just plastic pipes, petroleum-based products went up three per, 300% on this picture. Uh, Gary is one of those technically qualified producers that is one of the most technically qualified producers that I've ever worked with. <laughs> His background in filmmaking had been so wide and diverse, and his own interest in the mechanical aspects of filmmaking was great. He's kind of a, a film school Bible, but there is a big difference between theory and practice. Uh, part of the problem was even after shooting began, we kept redefining the script, uh, uh, Gary Kurtz says, and we did eight to ten sets. So really what we were talking about was being about uh, was was being over about seven to eight weeks, half of which I would attribute to technical problems such as special effects not functioning or sets being very difficult to work in, like the carbon freezing chamber. And the other four weeks are really due to the way that Irving Kirshner worked and shot, uh, just his pacing and his method of operation, but not being able to do the throwaway scenes very quickly and concentrate on the next. He put the same degree of attention into everything. I was never sure. If anything was was right, I was guessing, Irving Kirshner says. And when I realized that George Lucas had financed this picture himself, and there I was shooting a guessing game with millions and millions of dollars uh, at stake, his dollars, uh, this put a tr tremendous burden on me because I knew whenever I screwed up, it was costing him money. Uh, that's the way film is. You chase shadows. So this last part of the movie of Vampire Strikes Back is incredibly uh, intensive. Now, it continues in a chapter called 11th Hour on page 210 of J.W. Rensler's excellent uh, The Making of Empire Strikes Back. It said, uh, it, it, it mentions that, that the financial aspect of, uh, of, of, of the movie had, had lessened, that the, the pressure had, had come off slightly. In, in detail on actual, uh, let's see here, page 214. Page 214 of making of star war uh making of the empire strikes back it says uh suddenly the film's financial footing had improved i called up george and said i know people at the bank of boston uh this is his producer says i know people at the bank of boston by friday i think that we will give us the credit line 
I called up Bill Thompson, who flew out on Wednesday. We literally did the deal on the back of a napkin, and he handed us the payroll. Let's hear it for the Bank of Boston. Let's hear it for the Bank of Boston, okay, for coming through and saving George Lucas's bacon and, and making it so that we all had a movie that we could show up and see in the summer of 1980. We had to go and completely refinance the movie halfway through with, an, with a different bank, George Lucas says. We had to switch banks in a period of something like 10 days, but we were willing, uh, they were willing to go in on the extra $5 million for us. Uh, I was on the end of a telephone for all of that, says Gary Kurtz, producer Gary Kurtz. This was Charlie, their financier's uh, area, and he kept me informed a bit about what was happening, but it was like trying to negotiate with a gun to your head, I'm sure. I am sure that's how he felt about it because of the time frame that we were facing. Uh, George just appeared one day in England with a banker from Boston. It, it writes, uh, it, it's written here, says uh, Irving Kirshner. George told me that we were trying to get some extra money and we showed them the footage of Empire Strikes Back. We showed them sequences. They thanked me, they thanked George, and they gave us the money. The revolving credit line agreement with First National Bank of Boston was signed dated July 24th, refinancing the original loan, that's 1979, uh, of a, um, to the tune of $31 million. And uh, Fox guaranteeing uh, the three million above the twenty-eight million in return for principal terms of distribution. So they kept their distribution deal, and they didn't get a piece of the ownership of the movie. Uh, I wanted my independence so badly. George says we wanted to do it in the way that I paid Fox just a little bit more money, but they didn't get any of the licensing. They didn't get any of the sequels. If I had to pay a few extra points to them to distribute it, I could do it. I think Fox was just as concerned uh, about us getting the movie finished. The second prequel distributor-producer split of gross box office receipts, receipts would be more favorable to the former than it had been for Empire. Fox would remain uh, 10% of merchandising, which they had from the beginning, participation. But because it was borrowing $27 million from the Bank of Boston with no intermediary companies to run their interference, Lucas itself, the parent company financing the film, was now more liable. It had guaranteed the loan, and if Empire didn't at least make its money back, Lucasfilm would be on the chopping block. So there is your interim financial, like when you go and you see, uh, to this day, I cannot believe that at, at the, the, the Star Wars 1977 uh, explosion, the phenomenon, was, was hanging in the balance with a bank, with two banks, Bank of America, Bank of Boston, who both had to decide whether we were going to get this incredible success. Remember, they said uh, it had to make its money back. Okay, so so let let's say that at a at a uh, you know let's say at that investment, uh, they're they're making a movie for thirty one million dollars, right? They're making a movie for thirty one million bucks, which again doesn't sound anywhere near what what we we experience nowadays, but uh, it's still a ton of scratch. Okay, and Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back domestically, uh, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I, I, I think we can safely say that it made its $31 million back. Star Wars Empire Strikes Back domestically, not internationally, made $291 million. $291 million, 738000 The reason we dwelled on Empire Strikes Back uh, so much is it really, it, it just towers over the entire year. It is the defining film event of 1980. And I just wanted you to know, you've heard it. You've heard George say it in his... Um, in, his, in his documentaries, he gives it a few seconds. They were going to shut us down. We were going to lose it. But going into the nitty gritty of all the people and how they were just all freaking out, the producers, the, 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 the accountants, 
uh, having to try and not freak everybody out in the cast, keeping people paid, not not shutting down, not ha- having to to give more to Fox. I, fe- I figured it, it was worth more of a deep dive in J.W. Rensler's, all of his books are that great. And if you get a chance to get behind the scenes, the making of Star Wars, the making of Empire, the making of Return, the making of Planet of the Apes, all the books that he's done, he is just an amazing storyteller. He does his research. He brings the receipts. He has the interviews. It's fantastic. Star Wars Empire Strikes Back uh, just dominated. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the number two movie, 9 to 5, with Dolly Parton, Jane Fonda, uh, Lily Tomlin, Dabney Coleman there. I gave you all four leads. That was the number two movie of 1980. Comedy was a big deal because Stir Crazy, which is the movie that I know uh, from, from like, like so many of you know him just as Willy Wonka, but, but there was a period, Gene Wilder, and Richard Pryor would just make these crazy buddy cop, not buddy cop, buddy comedies. They made these buddy comedies, and Stir Crazy was one of the biggest. Stir Crazy was number three. There's only three movies that topped 100 million in 1980. Obviously, uh, Empire Strikes Back, 291 million. Nine to five, 103 million. Stir Crazy, 101 million. Then you got number four, Airplane, at $83 million. Airplane, a movie, it, it's so funny because Airplane, and then. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, some of these other movies, <laughs> Private Benjamin. These are movies that I had to go see with my parents on their date, date night. Of course, now now when I say date night, Airplane we saw in Palm Springs. Remember, my dad would drive me out of town to see Superman and Star Wars because, ooh, the church couldn't see my dad at movies for some weirdo reason, and he knew it was weirdo, but there's a lot of judgmental people in our little Baptist church. And so he's like, Rob, we have to go several cities away to see Star Wars to see Superman. Well, we only saw these other movies on summer vacations or when we were out of town. Private Benjamin, Airplane. Airplane was uh, $83 million, the number four movie of 1980. Any Which Way You Can, Clint Eastwood uh, was number five with $70 million. I mean, there's $13 million between number, uh, number four and number five. Private Benjamin was number six, Goldie Hawn's breakout, uh, breakout role at, at $69 million. Uh, the Coal Miner's Daughter with Sissy Spacek was number seven. Uh, the sequel to Smokey and the Bandit came in at $66 million. The Blues Brothers. So hilarious, uh, 57, and then the Academy Award winner, it, it, it crushed at the Academy Awards, Ordinary People, uh, with Mary Tyler Moore in a very serious role, uh, came in at 52 million, and an honorary mention for number 11, Mr. Popeye, uh, Popeye, which people look back as this giant flop because it didn't go into that extra 100 million stratosphere of Superman and Star Wars, but it made just shy of $50 million. It, 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 it starred Robin Williams. I, I tell you, Robert Altman directed it. If you ever get a chance to see uh, Robin Williams in Popeye, it is bizarre, but it, it, I, think, I think it is even fresher now, uh, given the time that's gone by. I think the expectations on that were way too high. It is a bizarre, weird, but, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's a brilliant movie. Robert Altman's Popeye, if, if you can make it through it, uh, uh, is, is so... Um, Shelley Duvall is in it as, as Olive Oil. I mean, look, technically, comic book, cartoon movie, right? Worth seeing, I, I'm telling you. I'm not, I'm not telling you it's the greatest movie you're ever going to see. I'm just telling you it's worth checking out. So 1980 was really, uh, I mean, just Star Wars is above and beyond. It is almost $200 million above the number two, the number three slots. Honorable mention goes to uh, Xanadu, which everyone hated. Um, it was a terrible follow-up for 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 Olivia Newton-John. The, the, the soundtrack, though, what we're going to hear about in the music section, because that 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 Xanadu soundtrack is full of absolute just gems, great hits, huge. Uh, 
And then Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon came in at number 21. My buddies and I, we saw it opening day. We, we, we saw it at the Orange Mall. They had a theater at the Orange Mall. The Orange Mall is no longer there. It was torn down. It was later, decades later, re, re-erected. Now it's called the, the Outlets at Orange. But it was an enclosed, self-enclosed mall. It had a movie theater. I saw a ton of movies there. Flash Gordon was one of them. I uh, knew that it was kind of farcy and, and a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but loved it. Loved the way it looked. Loved Sam Jones. Loved hanging with Sam Jones. If you can see Sam Jones and, and, and fist bump him on the convention circuit, he is such a workhorse. He is still just such a fantastic man, human being. Uh, what a gem. What a kind guy. And, and Flash Gordon is fantastic. A, a, a byproduct of the winter of 1980. Another movie, again, maybe it's not great to you. I love it. Um, I would recommend at least just checking it out and seeing it. Okay, so comic book and comic book strips had the representation with between Popeye and, and and Flash Gordon, but Star Wars. Can you believe Star Wars almost didn't happen? Some banker came in and said, "I'm shutting you down. You're going over budget." Oh my gosh, it's not like you made umpteen hundreds of millions of dollars the first time. If you just it, it, like literally, I'm sure somebody said, "You know, if this movie tanks and only does fifty percent of the first one, we're still completely, you know, uh, uh." you know, going to be in the black several times over. This is not going to bleed red ink for us. And, uh, but they had somebody who wanted to make a point, wanted to send a message and poor George Lucas, uh, as if he didn't have, a, a, you know, more stress going on, had to deal with the financial aspects of this number one movie of 1980, not making it. Okay. So movies, I wouldn't say it was a great, great year. I mean, it, it certainly had, I mean, tons of comedies. You got comedy, 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 comedy comedy the the number two three four five and six are all comedies okay number eight is a comedy number nine is a comedy i mean the, the america was laughing again post the stress of vietnam post getting out of there uh you know we we were we were at least smiling and laughing and and and, and trust me airplane my parents did not see uh the raunchiness coming and little robbie liefeld couldn't have been happier uh, when both his parents tried to um cover his eyes when, when during the, the, the two crash sequences where maybe the naked breasts bounce. And when I say bounce, I literally, they have a bouncing sound. If you see airplanes going boing, 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 boing. Um, and, and little, uh, <laughs> little 12 year old Rob Liefeld felt like, how did I become so blessed to go see this movie with my parents in Palm Springs? What a blessing airplane was. I must've watched it a hundred times when it went to cable. And so did you. Uh, uh, and you know, you did. And if you haven't, Go watch it right now. It still holds up. Uh, I, I I fell asleep watching some sports thing last spring. I woke up and 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 airplane was on. It it it, it was it was on the on on the subscription service. It was playing. It just rolled right into it. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm gonna stay up and watch the rest of this. It's that funny. It's that good. What were we doing in in regards to the music of uh, of 1980? Because because we're, we're 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 in the period where we're like exiting disco. We're like we're exiting disco. But, uh, you know, we're, we're still deep into, uh, into kind of dance music, upbeat, poppy music. And that, that's what dominates the charts. Uh, look, basically in 1980, you know, America elected Ronald Reagan as our 40th president of the United States. Uh, Rubik's Cube, the Rubik's Cube was introduced and it uh, entertained the masses. Okay. And an and honorary mention to 1980 and, and our u.s men's hockey team because that's the miracle on ice that is when we won the gold medal in lake placid new york okay uh but in music uh we, we had some some great singles some big pop singles and i figured i would i would share those because uh 
the 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 pop singles at the time i mean these were the music this was the music that that we we were listening to and i can remember again on that drive out to palm springs i drove with my sister she had her own car drove separately with her and we must have listened to blondie's call me about a hundred times it is such a great song it's still a great song that was the top single of 1980 uh another brick in the wall pink floyd's epic epic just almost a chant you know we don't need no education pink floyd another brick in the wall olivia newton john was the number third biggest single with magic have to believe we are magic from xanadu had the album i mean the album charted number one once over over the course of 1980 had the movie been any good that that album would have been at the top for so long but magic broke out was a top single number three single of 1980 i feel like casey Kasem, and for those of you who don't know casey Kasem is consider yourself uh thankful that you're not old and elderly like the rest of us who got that uh, michael jackson rock with you again segueing kind of from 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 disco incorporating some disco into pop uh michael jackson's rock with you captain and tenille do that to me one more time do what to you uh was number five uh crazy little thing called love by queen was number six uh paul mccartney's coming up was number seven funky town if you hear it once you're gonna hear it forever it's gonna be the earworm of your life by lips inc was uh number eight it's still rock and roll to me a killer anthem by billy joel was number nine and uh bet midler's the rose was uh number 10 honorary mention goes to rupert holmes who uh you, you, many of you heard this song for the first time in Guardians of the Galaxy uh, in 2014, Escape, the Pina Colada song. So those are your top singles. Those are your top singles. Uh, the, the, the music that was blazing on the radio. I just remember those times. Music is, is so great in that it transports us so often to another place and another time. And certainly if I hear any of those, like I said, Call Me is the drive out to Palm Desert, Palm Springs with my sister. And blasting it, we love Blondie. Just and my sister would play that music so loud. Uh, you know, each and every one of these songs was was just a uh, uh, an incredible uh, has incredible memories. And and I I go back to um, I mean junior high. It, it's such a great time. Uh, one of the charts uh, places the top five albums in 1980 as Back in Blacks uh, by ACDC, High Infidelity. Ario Speedwagon, Guilty by Barbara Streisand, Kenny Rogers' Greatest Hits. Oh, he could not have been bigger. And Aerosmith's Greatest Hits. Uh, I think Billy Joel's Glass Houses is number six. These, this was the music of our time. This was the the, the tunes that we were jamming to uh, in in 1980. Again, it was this crossover. They were burning their disco albums, but there were parts of disco that were still making it into uh, popular acts. Certainly, again, uh, Michael Jackson uh, wanted to have some upbeat dance tempo music and and you know there there's some serious disco in off the wall which i believe personally is his best album i believe off the wall is his absolute best album there was a showtime special a documentary on the making of off the wall i think you can get it on amazon prime now uh it, it is fantastic they go into the creation of each and and every one of the songs and uh all manner of different musicians celebrities uh are, are interviewed what, what, what how they viewed the album at the time how they view the album now the craft that went into it uh some of the st- the producers who were still alive i think this was released in like 2016 2017 again if you go to amazon prime making of uh, of off the wall with michael jackson uh just fantastic documentary and really just just proves the point of, of that music is timeless it's great 
and 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 so certainly that was a that the, those hits had spilled into 1980 and 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 really set the stage for what he would do later with Thriller. Of course, look as as, as crappy as Xanadu was as a movie. Uh, again, the music, ELO had a bunch of tracks on there. And of course, Olivia Newton-John had a bunch of tracks, Magic being the biggest uh, of the hits. But I mean, she was everywhere. She had, uh, they really took the the end of Greece where she's vamped up and she's super sexy and in her black lycra dancing with John Travolta doing all their killer dance moves and Travolta's in his black leather. Uh, that 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 kind of vamp image is, it, that set the stage for what would then happen after Xanadu with her physical album. So, so magic was kind of the next bridge in getting her there. But I mean, uh, trust me, Olivia Newton-John, uh, moms loved her. She had come from country and she had evolved into this, you know, pop songstress, top of the charts. And then young men like myself, wow, she was gorgeous, beautiful, uh, had that Olivia Newton-John poster on my wall. Maybe you did too. Again, continuing to date myself. 1980 had the music, it had the movies, it had the comic books, it had the television. I cannot tell you what a great time this was. but certainly Star Wars. Biggest sequel attempted of its kind. Godfather 2 was certainly a giant swing as well and artistically, you know, a, 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 a bridge even further. But to, to create uh, the sequel to the biggest pop culture event of a lifetime, uh, Empire Strikes Back, I mean, that, that, that phrase, they landed the plane, they absolutely landed the plane with a cliffhanger that, that, that left you feeling bad. I mean, I walked out of the theater feeling blue. And you know what? I was one of those kids that uh, just tying this all together. Marvel Comics had done an adaptation of Empire Strikes Back. And it was released a few weeks earlier than the film. It was released, their adaptation, not the magazine format, but they had done a digest because Marvel was doing everything in these like, uh, uh, you know, little, what, what they call digest package books. And uh, they, they were doing novels. They were reprinting older issues of Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, The Hulk. But they had uh, the, the, the Empire Strikes Back comic book adaptation had actually made it to the shelves of the bookstores a few weeks earlier. I remember, you know, I'm anticipating, you know, the sequel coming out. And I see, oh my gosh, there it is. There it is. Do I get it? Of course I got it. I, I, am, I, I, I was getting it right then. Yoda is drawn, depicted differently in this. Uh, he is is gray with white hair. Uh, he is not the final mix, which which they they would then go to uh, when the, when the proper adaptation came out. The comic books they got it right, but in this uh, this this uh, pocketbook uh, version of Empire Strikes Back, it is a completely different depiction based on the earliest drawings. Because of course, Al Williamson, who drew the adaptation, had to start so so early uh, on the adaptation that they were giving him designs and and and. Uh, as reference and concept illustrations before they settled on the final the final look and and because literally yoda appears in the middle so i'm sure al williamson was like you know again the middle of him drawing this they hadn't decided that they hadn't locked down the final look on yoda so that is why that made it to press but in it is when i saw i i I realized and and i don't regret it it did not lessen the impact or you're you're gonna say of course it did but the impact is the impact no matter when you encounter it and when i because I got that book, I, I I put all my lunch and my lawn mowing money into that pocketbook Empire Strikes Back adaptation immediately. Went home that Friday night. Oh my God, Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader's son. What? Um. Oh man, I I just couldn't believe. And like, wait, what do you mean Han Solo is getting frozen? So did I walk in with a cheat code? 
and many of you did too, and you know who I'm talking to, we walked into Empire Strikes Back, Strikes Back already knowing we had the cheat codes because of that premature. You want to talk about premature. Uh, the release of that book was premature. I'm sure on some level when Lucasfilm found out, they screamed, they, they, they yelled. I'm, it's, Marvel just produced it. Whoever was the distributor is the one who dropped the ball and got it because Marvel doesn't distribute. They just make the products, they deliver them. And whoever was behind the distribution to bookstores, I'm sure got their ass chewed out, probably still has no ass left after the ass chewing that they got, that they revealed one of the biggest secrets. But because people weren't a comic as, as much as, you know, maybe they are now and they aren't the focus of attention by the People magazines and the Us magazines and the Newsweeks and the Time, it went under the radar. Uh, it was, it was, it was just close enough to the release date that it wasn't seen as the giant spoiler that it would be now. Three weeks for sure now, yes. But yeah, I, I encountered that in the Star Wars pocketbook adaptation of Empire Strikes Back. All the secrets were blown, okay? And uh, to, to think that it, for one minute that that movie was in financial distress because some you know bunghole at the bank was, was going was gonna to send a message that, you know, he's on the wall, he's, he's fighting, he's fighting for all of us with loans on that wall, he's, 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 uh, you know, he, he's going to be uh, the, 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 the proper fiduciary agent for this particular transaction. Give me a break. That's crazy. 1980 was a blast. Great year. Great talking about it. Tons of lessons to be learned. Uh, the, the highest bar possible cleared by George Lucas. Uh, he threaded that needle. He gave us everything we wanted. He gave us a miserable cliffhanger that made us feel like garbage, and we loved it. We loved it because it was so well executed. Urban Kirshner did the most amazing job uh, in, in the director's chair, and that all we wanted really, we kids of 1977, we wanted to see Vader and 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 Luke Skywalker throw down, have that lightsaber battle that they weren't allowed to have in the comics. It couldn't have been real. It wasn't, they couldn't depict them meeting. Finally, three years later, we're seeing it. We saw them throw down uh, in that most excellent uh, fashion and, and, uh, and the Carbonite Chamber and just Bespin, Cloud City, Lando Calrissian, Boba Fett, just amazing. Highest bar cleared. The lesson uh, from all that is, you know, stick to your guns, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, project a little higher on your budget and, uh, and, 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 and clear that bar. Clearing that bar would have been even easier, but what an incredible year in entertainment, comics, movies, film, music. Thank you for walking down the road of 1980 with me. I hope, I very much hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let, let me just uh, wrap this whole portion of the show by, 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 again, just thanking all of you, each and every one of you who listen to our show, each and every one of you who listen to observations. I just want to give the most heartfelt uh, thank you on behalf of myself, uh, my engineer producer, Reed. We are so thankful that you listen to the show, that you share the show, that you, um, you know, uh, talk the show up and, and give us these incredible vibes, word of mouth. Uh, thank you. The, the, the audience just continues to grow because of you, because you continue to tune in and and be entertained and if you're the guy that was like hey man you ramble too much i'm gonna say here what i said to you online rambling is the show okay i'm gonna i'm gonna full just uh full confession after we're we're, we're, we've been doing this three and a half years so so we're almost on four years 
uh, it's hard doing podcasting. Everybody out there who does a podcast, it is, uh, it is a chore. It is not easy. It is, I have anxiety each and every time I turn this mic on and I speak into it and I, I attempt to fill the show with content. Uh, some of it, hopefully something that you are entertained by or informed by. I, I am so passionate about comic books and uh, expanding whatever knowledge that can be shared and expanded. Uh, it, 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 it just is, is my passion and I love doing it, but it is tremendously uh, stressful doing this show. And, and, and uh, again, from scheduling the time that my house is going to be quiet, uh, and yes, I am looking for a dedicated office space that I will um, have my podcast and, and probably an art gallery uh, combo. I've, I've been checking out spaces recently. Look, just just it's a, it's a lot of work to all of you who have been doing this and you're like, life held almost four years and I can hear you laughing and falling off your chair right now. I get it. You've been doing this for a decade, maybe longer. You get it. I get it. I, my respect to you. And again, anybody who is rocking a mic, who is talking into these mics, who is attempting to make these podcasts, uh, read, you do such a great job cleaning my um, audio up, patching me together and, and loading me up. I just want to say thank you. And again, thank you for listening and, and enjoying the show uh, on, on any level. Our, our practice here at the show is to read your reviews that you leave at the, each, at the end of each and every show uh, over, over, over the air on the podcast. And I am so thankful that you have just jammed us up with so many positive reviews, so many uh, just just positive comments. And when you do that, that helps us tremendously. Thank you for weighing in. Thank you for elevating our platform the way you do uh, with your support. Today, I'm going to read to you from uh, a gentleman named L.S. King. L.S. King. It says, Passion. That's the headline of his uh, review. He gives five stars. We thank you very much. He says, Rob's passion for comic book comes through in his comic book covers, his pages, and his podcast. The world would be a much better place <laughs> if everyone was more like Rob. Love what you're doing, Rob. Keep it going. Thanks for sharing your passion with us. Hey, I said it from the top of the show. This show is all about passion. Uh, L.S. King, thank you so much uh, for for the uh, for the great review, I, I am gonna uh, the, the 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 guy that that left the uh, review that that says I'm arrogant, and if he hears me imitate Todd one more time, he's going to lose my mind. Prepare to lose your mind. But but if I hear Rob imitate me one more time, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose it. That's for you. Uh, buddy who said he was going to lose his mind, we are all anticipating your mind being lost at, at the moment that you hear that. Thank you. Uh, that we, we are uh, always entertained by the people who want to... Um, some, some of the, the, the negative reviews are so fun because they... <laughs> They have nothing to do with the show. They they have very little to do with the show. Uh, it's it's very entertaining, and and we're sorry that you're bitter. And I hope that that at the end of the show, maybe you can shake some of that off. Maybe maybe like T Taylor Swift said, shake it off. Maybe you can shake it off. We are hoping that you can shake it off. Two, my good buddy L S King, who commented on my passion. What 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 a nice thing for you to say. Appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, sharing. Uh, your positive vibes about the show. Hey, we've probably done 40 shows this year, maybe a little more. We certainly aren't going to make it to the end of the year, but this is certainly not going to be a 
52 weeks, but I'm saying for the weeks. You know, we, we've done over 85 shows this year. And let me tell you something. And here is drum roll, please. We were the number one comic book broadcast the entirety. We were the number one broadcast, the number one podcast, the number one comic book themed podcast for the entirety of 2023. And for that, I thank you. It is you who did that for us. And I am so thankful, so grateful. Thank you so much. If you want to reach out and, and, uh, Interact with me on social media, on Twitter slash X. I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Robert Liefeld. I am uh, always on Twitter X looking for news, looking for um, stuff to to uh, discuss, talk. Uh, I love interacting with you. I read your DMs, your, your, your replies, your mentions, all of it. I try and track it all down. I try and keep the dialogue going. Thank you so much for following me. I am, again, at Robert Liefeld, full name. And I have a blue check next to my name. It comes and goes right now. I checked. It's there. It says that I'm the genuine article. I'm the real Rob Liefeld. I enjoy so much uh, interacting with you over there. So check me out. Follow me. So, so looking forward to uh, to hanging with you on Twitter slash X. It's going to be hard to just call it X. I got to put that Twitter in front of it. On Instagram, that's my picture diary of my life, my drawings, my family, my food, uh, the stuff that I enjoy doing. Follow me. I'm at Rob Liefeld. So simple. Again, shout out to Joy Creel. Joy Creel, that was her original name, Joy Liefeld. Uh, when when, when uh, she pointed it out to me many years ago, you should be on this app. It's cool. You'll love it. Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Again, another blue check, another uh, way to signify that you are talking to the genuine article, the real deal. Uh, I lo- love, again, your comments, your interactions, your replies, your DMs. I appreciate all of you so much. Thank you for um, interacting with me on Instagram. Follow me at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. We have the most kick-ass group. It's called Rob Liefeld Extreme. I'm sorry, Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It's on Facebook. It's a Facebook group. We have the most kick-ass Facebook group. Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I would love for you to join us over there. Myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you on through. Uh, we are the administrators. So much of what we discuss here goes down over there. We, we discuss it in, in maybe longer form or in depth. People uh, are sharing their art. We have regular art contests that Terry Sala runs. Uh, we have polls for those art contests. So you vote, you decide. We share comics, art, ideas, concepts, talk about the marketplace, talk about the business of comics. I would love to see you over there. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is our Facebook group. We will look for you over there. Can't wait to see you. There is a app called Whatnot. It is fantastic. It is a live stream. When someone like myself is no longer touring, uh, and I've only done two two shows for the past uh, two years, heading into three years, uh, I, I, I just do San Diego. It's in my backyard. I go to New York because it's just a big, fun show, and I love the city. But otherwise, I am not coming to Miami or Orlando or Dallas or Austin uh, I, I'm not. I'm not coming to Houston. I'm not going anywhere in Montana, Idaho, uh, Wisconsin. I got comics to produce. I have to make the comics. I have so many new projects coming out, and I want to have the time to do them and do them well. And so that I have to stay home. Live streaming has helped me reach you through that portal. We have a five star rating, and because we have uh, put you and your priority where it belongs, we ship uh, super fast. And what are we shipping? What are we sharing? What are we doing over there? We are sharing with you during the live stream on the whatnot. I am sharing signed comic books, some past comics, New Mutants, Hawk and Dove, extreme comics, new stuff, exclusive variants that we only do for whatnot. We have so many of them. We have a Spider-Man and whatnot exclusive variant, a Deadpool whatnot exclusive variant. Uh, we have a Captain America whatnot exclusive variant. We have a foil 
We have all manner of stuff that is only available. And I'm going to tell you, I'm about to debut my only, my, my first, my new comic book, uh, which is called The Last Blood, which should be out in January, is only going to be available through whatnot, through my live stream. You're only going to be able to get it from me there. So that's a reason to get whatnot, download Rob Liefeld, follow, f- download whatnot, find Rob Liefeld, follow me. You'll get notifications when I go live. We generally do Wednesday and Saturday. Right now, heading through the holiday season, we uh, I am drawing on Funko Pops, on toys. Uh, we have original art, some really good pages that we offer up. We have comic books. We are so um, happy to see you when you jump on there. And and again, for those couple of hours that I am live, it is me talking straight into you. My buddy Dave is my wingman. He is fulfilling all your orders after I sign them and hand them over to him and make sure that you guys get your stuff in the proper uh the 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 manner that you expect properly shipped and and delivered and we just appreciate you so much follow us over on whatnot to get our exclusives there's going to be way more exclusive variants and comics and an entire comic book the last blood is going to debut and live on that live stream for a good long time so follow me over on whatnot i will look for you on our next live stream Upcoming projects this week, Deadpool 7 Slaughters. I did a 10-page story. It uh, revisits a character that I introduced in 2004 called Lady Anime. I can't wait for you to interact with her. I hope you dig the character. I hope you dig the story. Uh, There is a whole bunch of other cool stories. I know Wills Portacio contributed a story. It's really fun. It's a great one-shot. It's going to be in stores November 15th, if I am not wrong. 14th, 15th. It's going to be uh, in stores around November 15th. So make sure you get Deadpool 7 Slaughters. It's hefty. It's $10. It's a thick one. There's it's 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 a lot of stories, a lot of content, and I hope you can get a uh, get a hold of that and uh, meet Lady Anime and and as she uses her powers for the very first time, continuing uh, from the introduction in X Force uh, that the 2004 miniseries that I did with X Force. So I'm very excited to get that in your hands in 2024. There's the uh, previously mentioned Last Blood, which I'm I'm keeping under wraps. I want to surprise you with, and then. Uh, I have Cable First Contact coming out. Cable First Contact is a show that I, a, 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 a comic book that I have been wanting to do uh, since I created Cable and I created X Force, and it, it, it answers questions that I think uh, you'll you'll go, wow, this 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 was a pretty obvious connector. It hasn't been connected before, but I'm going to connect it for you. There's balls to the walls, big time action. We're going to have probably preview all the covers for that coming up real soon. Cable First Contact is going to rock. I am so excited to get into your hands. There's a Major X project. There's some other secret projects I cannot share with you as well, but my Extreme Library is um, fired up, ready to go. We got some fun projects, so stay tuned here. I'll be talking about them, promoting right here from the podcast uh, as we finish up 2023 and head into 2024. The world seems like it's on fire. This is my little commentary. Every day I wake up, I wake up with a lot of stress for my fam, my family, your family, um, just the, the people of planet Earth. Uh, the chaos just seems to be incredible. And in y'all's re- reading a report this last week about 2011, 2012 is when the, you know, the scientists, the brighter minds than, than myself will identify that social media really took hold with a new generation and with it created all this new found stress. And we feel it. We feel it in every aspect of our lives. I feel it. Again, as a father of three, uh, married for, for 29 years now, uh, I mean, I just feel it. I feel it. I, I feel for your kids, my kids, our, our, uh, our, our own generation and all the other generations that are dealing with all of the craziness, uh, the, the, all of the noise. And, and I just want to end each and every episode telling you to, to feel free, step away from the noise, get off the grind for a little while. 
I'm going to tell you, sometimes it's just me. I go into my garage where some of my comic books, some of my favorite comic books are collected and I pull them out and I, and I look to them. I look, I look through them, not in trade paperbacks, not in fancy schmancy hardcovers of which I love and have many of, but sometimes I go back to that newsprint edition. I pull that out of the, uh, the bag and board. I get my copy that I bought in 1977, 1978, and I flip through it and I see the ads and I see the newsprint and it takes me back and it, it just it distracts me. It inspires me and distracts me. It does those two key things for me at that moment and that time. And so maybe for you, it's watching a show that you've been putting off, watching a movie, watching a miniseries, reading a comic, reading a graphic novel, getting to that great book, that great novel that you've been wanting to read. My wife is a voracious reader. She reads so many books all the time, just going through them, boom, boom, boom. I love to hear about them. She tells me about all the different books she's reading, but that's how she escapes. Maybe it's for you um, getting out, uh, playing pickup basketball. Uh, you know, my, my son's going to come home, uh, for, for hol- holiday, you know, break and the, he and his buddies are going to get together. They're going to play tons of basketball. Great distraction. He works in the private sector. He works in finance. You know, I can't think of a better way for him to get away and get distracted, but we, we're going to gather also all of us around and we're going to eat several times. We're going to go to burger joints, taco joints. We're going to have pizza. We're going to have all the cheat meals. All the cheat meals are available. You have to get off the grind. Um, feed your soul, feed your belly get distracted and get off the grind. I'm rooting for you. I hope that your mental, your emotional, your spiritual, and your physical self, that, that, that they are in the maintenance that they need to be in, in the emotional state, the physical, the mental, uh, uh, the, 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 just the place they need to be. Uh, it, it is, it is when I, when I say this to you is when I am at my most sincere, because I go through all this stuff too. You guys, uh, again, I, I have, I mean, you look at the world differently when you're a parent, uh, when you're a husband, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and whatever role that you are playing in your life, whatever role, uh, mom, sister, uh, daughter, child, you know, husband, father, uncle, whatever it is, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, 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 and if I can provide for you entertainment and distraction, then, then I hope I can do that. But please follow it up. Get something dedicated. Go out there. Get in that recliner, that comfy chair, that bean bag, and just relax and escape and, and, and take some time off. Please, I urge you. And, and again, you got to do it with a cheat meal. If you, if you really thought I was going to mention the Reese's Big Cup, right after this over, I'm going to have one. I'm going to have a Reese's Big Cup, a pure one. It's got nothing in it. We found some just OG Reese's big cups. The big cup is the king. Uh, I, I love it. I, you know, I know they put pretzels and chips and cereal in them now and all manner of other stuff, but I, the pure one is just so amazing. I love it. I'm going to have it right after we're done here. And that is that, that next 30 seconds of my life will be the best 30 seconds of, of, of that day of today. I, I guarantee you that tingling of the senses. And I am going to read a comic and I am going to relax. I'm going to do everything that I'm telling you to do. Okay. So I'm cheering for you. Fist bump, boom, right through the blue Yeti microphone that my son bought for me to do this podcast in the first place. I am rooting for you. I am on your side. I wish for you nothing but the very best. Please, please do not uh, uh, forget. (laughs) Definitely remember, please do not forget to come back, swing back around. I'm going to be here, even though it's now once a week for the rest of the year until we pull the plug. I'm going to still be here and we will most certainly, definitively, absolutely talk again real soon.